Welcome back to a Love Like This podcast. We are so glad you are here. Join us as we share the stories, memories, and messages that help shape not just our lives, but the lives of our incredible guests. In this limited series, we wanted to invite our friends and family who are all secretly incredible to share their stories, life lessons, and advice. We hope that you, the person listening to this, would be encouraged by everything these amazing people have to say. Let this be a reminder that there are people right now, right beside you with stories, wisdom, and knowledge. Pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and welcome to our neighborhood. This week on the podcast, we have Sandy Camper. If you guys remember from season one, we had Charlize on the show talking about losing her best friend, Paris. Well, we had the privilege to sit down and speak to Paris's mum tonight. In this episode, Sandy shares with us Paris's faith and her own faith before Paris passed away. She shares the God moments that she experienced through the process of losing Paris. We spoke about the importance of having faith and why it makes life so free. And finally, why Sandy believes and knows that heaven is for real. You don't want to miss this. Well, hi everyone. Welcome back to episode two of our Neighborhood series. Today, we are honored to have Sandy Camper here on the show. If you guys remember from season one, we had our cousin Charlize come on the show and talk to us about um, her story with her best friend Paris passing away um, and everything that she learned from that experience. But today we get to be joined with Paris's mom, Sandy herself. Hi, Sandy. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Do you just want to tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you're doing? Okay. Um, well, I'm a mum of three and I have a stepdaughter as well. Um, Bill and I have been married for 21 years, so it's a long time. And we've lived in the Hills area in Sydney for uh, about 15 of those years or 14 of those years. And that's when Paris first met Charlize because we were neighbours. Mm-hmm. So they met when they were like four years old and you know, we made a, um, a gateway between our houses and they just grew up together and they were always backwards and forwards and most days they were best friends and they couldn't get enough of each other and then every now and then, I don't like Charlene. They'd fight. And they were, you know, just yeah, like yeah. sisters, you know, yeah. and I was like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that's me. I've been mostly a stay-at-home mum. I was a policewoman back in the day when I was young, but when I fell pregnant with Paris, I stopped that and um, I just became a full-time mum from then on and I was very blessed to be able to be a full-time mum to my children and it's been the best thing. Yeah, awesome. That Throwing it back to when you first moved in, I remember your old house. Yeah. The brick house. The first uh, time I met Sprinklers. Yeah, remember, do you remember that day when we came over? Yeah. And Paris was like, Mom, you're getting changed. And I'm like, Paris, I don't want to walk inside your house. Your mom's like half naked right now. <laughs> I'll never forget that day. But that was, yeah, I think that was like, and then you guys started building. Mm. I'm trying to think when you built your new house. It was yeah. like years after that. Yeah. And we, um, yeah. And, 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 and they were going to a school over in the hills. And that's actually when, um, before we moved, it was just before we moved, Pazzy would have been maybe two or three. And I used to uh, drop them to school in the hills and not, and I didn't want to drive all the way back because we hadn't moved yet. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I started to go to Hillsong Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started to go to the sisterhood meeting that they used to have on a Thursday. They used to have girls church on on Thursday. So I started to go as a young mum and Pazzy was in the um, childcare and she met this beautiful Russian um, girl, a student that was going to college there and that was it. That was it. She started to learn all about Jesus right back 
in the in from then from then and she used to tell me stories and her, that Russian girl I, I even forget her name which is just terrible but she made such an impact on Paz from that time and Paz was just always so passionate and that was it she was that was it, it was a done deal from that point oh. onwards it never changed I had no idea because now that we're only recently became Christians it's like yeah. four years old four years old wow do you have any cool stories about what Paris would come home and tell you about Jesus um well we she just was like a normal child well one time this is mm-hmm. a funny story. We she just would come to church whenever we went yeah. to church as a family, and it was not it wasn't anything foreign. It was just normal for her. Yeah. And uh and but one time her and Olivia, her older sister, they decided they didn't want to sit in the service, so they just crawled around everywhere. They ended up in the green room out the back. They just discovered that whole building. They went into places. Did you know places. they were gone? Did you? I notice? didn't know. I didn't oh know. Oh my like, gosh! I just trusted that she was like Olivia was eight years eight years older than <laughs> Paris, and, and I was like, where have you guys been? Like, Mum, we've been everywhere. Oh my god! That's actually kind of cool, cool. though. I love that. Yeah, they were a bit naughty, but they just went everywhere. But yeah, she she went to summer camp, and you know, like I just remember picking her up and her telling me, like crying and saying, "Mum, we had this moment, and oh my goodness, and oh, you know, and like she just yeah, 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 and I just knew that she had a real experience with God and that. Yeah, and that she was wow. she was on her, on her her pathway, and I was never a mum that was like, "You must do this or you must." I was never like that. I was like, if they're going to find Jesus, they'll find him the way they want in their time, yeah. however that however it is for them. And all I've got to do is is pray and be the best example I can be to them of God in me. Wow. So what did, yeah, I had no idea. Um, what did your in particular like your faith look like? before sort of everything with Paris happened? Like where, where was your faith at? Well, if to be honest, I think I pr- was probably just normal. Like I mm. I, I, I wasn't a uh, – like I guess I'm passionate about a lot of things but like I, I never was, um, you know, obsessed or anything like, oh, I'm just going to read the Bible from cover to cover ten times or um, – I, I did often think oh, I would like to go and study pastoral leadership like go to college, but with the children and the husband, I just never mm. had the time. Um, but I guess my faith was I, I like I took it seriously, but I wasn't um, obsessed about it or anything like that. Yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just like yeah. I just could classify myself as like a normal person that would go to church. I felt passionate about God. Um, I read His Word. You know, I'd go to Bible study, but yeah, I just was a normal part of life. If that makes, yeah. if that sounds. Yeah, no, like it become just sort of like part of who you were. Like it wasn't anything that like drove you to it, I guess. I think sometimes that happens as well. It's like when, not when you're brought up with faith, but when you've when you've had it for a while, it kind of just gets, I don't want to say boring, but you know what I mean? Like there's sometimes something happens that stirs up your faith like even more. And for you, something did happen. So do you want to tell our listeners, for those people who don't know the story of Paris, like... Just as comfortable as you can be, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah. Well, uh, I was uh, I was at work. I was in Brisbane, and um, and she was at home. Bill was at home too, my husband. But he had just taken Ryan to soccer, and he was on his way back to soccer. And she was at home with Olivia. Uh, Olivia Olivia was 
uh, well, it was three years ago, so Olivia was 23 at the time and they'd cooked a baked dinner, everything was good and they were just at home by themselves and we live on five, five acres and uh, and Paris just saw this thing on Instagram. She She's brave, she rides a horse, she's not scared of anything, she's so, you know, gutsy, that little girl and, um, and she just saw this drink thing on Instagram and she decided to experiment with vodka and lollies and so she mixed them all together and went down the back near the horse stables and just drank it thinking oh just experiment and um and it all went wrong because we don't really none of us really know what happened but within a period of no more than an hour you know uh, Olivia found her and she had passed out in the paddock so like she's obviously drank too much and she just had a heart attack or you know, and she stopped breathing and then they had to get try and do um, CPR and they they called the ambulance and there was a trauma and Charlize came over and Michelle and you know, Livy couldn't find her and Livy was panicking and Livy, Livy was the one that did the CPR, which was just, you know, horrible for her and they called me and they're screaming at me, Mum, Mum, Paris died, Paris died. I'm going, don't be stupid. That's not true. Just put your hands on her and you just pray because I always stood on... I listened to Bono one time and he said he really had this pull inside of him that if he kept doing what God called him to do and he was away from his family to do that, how could how could he look after his family and be in two places at once? And and he and he said or he said one time, you know, God said, You do the best, let me do the rest. And I always stood on that like that Psalm ninety one, you know, like if you just you just be my girl, Sand, I will take care of what you can't put your hands on at all times. And as a mum of three children, you want to have your hands everywhere, but you can't. One's at soccer, one's doing horse riding, one's here, one's there, there. Like you always know where they they are. Like, But I didn't, you know, and I was at work and I got this call and it's like, oh, and I started to panic. I said, just pray, just pray, everyone. We just started praying. We just started to pray and we didn't know at that point what happened or that she was well, I didn't see her in the paddock, so there was no way I was believing she had died. Um, and they said, "No, she's in the. She's. They're taking her to the hospital. I'm on the phone." And um, I got back to the airport at Brisbane. And I couldn't get a flight. Oh, and uh, and so I got in a hire car, and I was trying to get a hire car. And on the and my girlfriend came. Thank goodness for Nick Baines because she's just a rock and stood by me from that moment. And she, we started to drive towards Sydney and between Brisbane and Gold Coast. I said, we've got to find another plane. We've got to do something. So I start Googling and I found a plane. This driving from Brisbane to Sydney thinking we've got to drive all night to get to Paris. But on the way I was like, no, no, we've got to, we'll find a helicopter, a plane, something. So I called um, private plane companies and I got onto this guy and, um, and he said, I can help you. I said, really? He goes, yes. He goes, where are you? I said, I told him where I was. He goes, can you be at the Gold Coast within about an hour? I said, yes, for sure. He goes, okay, meet me. I'll get a plane. I'll get two pilots. I'll meet you at the Gold Coast in about an hour and a half. Yeah, God sent God sent the aeroplane for sure. It was like this Superman appeared, in, you know, and um, and so we got to the Gold Coast. We, we were lost. We had to find this private hangar where the plane was going to land and we – 
um, yeah, we got on the plane and um, and they took us straight to Bankstown. We couldn't land in Sydney because Sydney's closed after a certain time. So we landed in Bankstown. They had a private car waiting straight, took to me, took me straight to Westmead. And, um, and then I sat with her for three days. There's a long story around that. God was all in that as well. And... Um, and, and then they said to me her brain was without oxygen for too long and that she's not going to wake up. Mm. And uh, so I, I, I said to him, I said to the doctor, I said, okay, well, if, but if God, if a miracle is going to happen, God will, God can do whatever. He said, I'm just here to tell you the science. Of course, he goes, I'm not a, I can't tell you about miracles. I'm, I'm just a doctor right now and I can just tell you what we know from our tests and we've done two conclusive tests and two separate doctors have to say what what we've said to you and um, so we're going to give you one more night and then we're going to turn the our machines off because we believe it's just our machines that are keeping her going and you have to do the right thing by her. And him saying that to me was like that's like he like there was no choice. I had to do the right thing by her. And I had to trust God. Like I could have been a crazy woman and said, no, you're not turning the machines off. I'm going to court, you know, yeah. and I'm getting 50,000 experts here to tell me, you know, and 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 I just, had, I, I just decided the whole time, like there was a time when they had to put an IV drip in her groin because she kept, um, her heart kept stopping. And um and I just I just held onto her feet and I prayed while they were doing all those things to her and it was bedlam, but it was like everything was happening, everything was happening so fast, but everything was happening so slow, and it was like God was there just keeping me so steady. Everyone, everybody that saw me, they couldn't believe it. I have no perspective of that, of course, because I was the one in it. But everyone else that saw me, they said, "We don't know how you stayed st- so strong and so so stoic and so." calm and so peaceful but God was there the whole time yeah so then the next morning I, I was like okay Lord it's up to you she's your girl before she's mine it's up to you if you want her to come back to me and that's what you want that's your will then that's you know that then that's what it's going to be but if you're if it's not your will then give me the strength to deal with that as well and we just hugged her and they turned the machines off and that was that she stopped breathing her heart stopped under my hand and she went home <laughs> like every day, I'm like, fine. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, and then um, the police came and they wanted to, they wanted to ask me, I don't know if you want to put this in the recording, but no, they, it's fine. they said to me, we need to, we need to interview everyone and find out what happened. I said, of course you do. Yeah. But straight away, my heart went to Olivia because I was like, if they say something wrong to her and make her feel like it's her fault or anyone's fault, because that is a natural response to a little girl dying like that in a preventable way. Your natural response for everybody is, this is ridiculous. Who can we blame? Like the natural response is like, who didn't take care of her? How did this happen? Like it's so, it was so such a shock. It's not like it was a car accident or she was sick or she fell off a building or she got, even fell off a horse. Like that would be explainable. But like this, this is like, preventable like crazy what happened but there was no way that I was going to let anyone blame anyone there was no way that that was going to happen it was an accident a little girl just was brave thought she would try something she shouldn't try and it just went wrong and it happened so fast didn't didn't you guys have like news 
like the next day at your house. Oh, remember? the reporters were at the gate. Paris was all over the news mm. and then, yeah, all of the reporters. I couldn't even, I can't and even imagine. Got, like, you got a phone call that night from Charlie's. Yeah, that, I said that in church. And we all just went in a huddle and started praying. Yeah, I remember I told you that. She's like, because she put it, she's like, guys, when you pray, like Paris isn't breathing. So I called her straight away. I'm like, what's going on? And like her cry, mm-hmm. I was just like, my first response is to pray right now. So it's crazy that. Oh, Everybody was in that headspace that we all have to pray. Like that's all we can really do. That's it, yeah. There was so much prayer and like I'm connected, like I'm a health coach and with my health coaching I'm connected with this network of people all around the world and they just started a prayer chain. Everybody started this massive prayer chain and Pastor Serge from church, he was there. He he stood by my side of that hospital 24-7. He did not leave my side and he was amazing. So the support that I had was like, like it's hard to understand. Like I thought about it today. Every single living thing, it, it's it. The only, the only hope. You, you think about how you live. Like you need water, you need air, but all of us need hope. The only thing that is hope is God. Because every single thing on this planet that is breathing, living, from trees, ocean, fish, cows, people, it could all be gone tomorrow in a heartbeat. Gone, finished. Everything is changeable can be gone but God is the only thing in the future and hope is all about looking forward hope is all about so it's and it's only God and he had he was in the future that he had her from in the paddock she made the mistake he certainly didn't do that that was her he gave us all a free will and he that was her will she did that it was her mistake but he was there for every single one of us to to soften the blow to bring peace in the storm yeah, yeah. So, so many things, so many, so many stories since then. Too many, probably for one day. For I one mean, <laughs> you can share some because that was kind of my next question. Because some of the stuff that you share with when I was at that one night at Connect with Mum, and the story about the the uh, tomato tree that you guys planted, just and the dreams. And I don't want you to share too much of your personal because you don't have to do that. You can totally keep them to yourself as well. But I think a lot of people listening are just so inspired by this story. And I think the way God is continuously working in your life post Paris is, is what makes the trauma, like what we're talking about before we recorded, it's making that trauma so beautiful in such an upside down kingdom way of working. How could this possibly be something beautiful? But it is because of the way God's using it. And so, yeah, I guess that's just my next question. Like what, what has he done since then in your, you know, don't share too much. You don't have to share too much, but I'm just curious to know how he's shown up. Mm. Well, today I thought about what I was going to say to you guys and like, like, you know, there's, there is a way of looking at life. God is in the pause. So there's a way of looking at life that when something happens, you can either react or respond. And if you respond, there is usually a pause. And if you can know that God is in that pause, then the way you respond to it will determine and change everything. So I could easily, really easily go, say, did Paris dying, did Paris dying happen to me or did did it happen for me? Okay. So when Paris died, it was actually an invitation for me and it really did feel like this. It, the pain was so unbearable and and so deep and, and just 
indescribable because she's my youngest and we were very close, like best mates and this is very bad parenting but she slept in my bed till she was 14 until we bought bought her Scooby and then finally when she got her little sausage dog she goes I'm going to my bed now with with Scooby I was like okay then (laughs) so cute we were very very close yeah and um and so it like I'm not saying that like it's so so painful but when you get to that point in those dark moments in that quiet time you have to decide well are you going to die or are you going to live then and if you're going to live how are you going to live and I can I could be angry at the world and angry at God but he is the only one that can actually bring me that peace in this mess or in this storm and he's the only healer the only one there's no people there's no this person that person this person although I can say to you that God has sent many people so I just think about I've, I wrote a list so I can try and remember while I'm talking to you guys but like the plane that night the doctors that were in the room like the doctor that I, that I had at Westmead he was just the best the way he communicated how he led me to the worst decision how he led me to make the best decision you know how mm, he mm-hmm. how, how that conversation happened the nurses that were there my friends that were in my life for such a time as this um the different coaches I've had, like I've got life coaches and business coaches and they are they are Christians and they have spoken into my life. I have had so many books and stories from pastors and magnificent people around the world that have also lost children and how their families have survived and how they've got through it. But their stories, like you girls, that's why I support you and I love you girls for doing this because it's the stories, it's people's stories that change people's lives. And I often say this when I talk to people about health. I go, you've got to share your health story because that is what's going to change someone else's health. Because you think about like tribal folk, they would have campfires and share stories. stories. This is a modern day campfire where we can sit around and share our stories and actually know who we are in a world that wants to tell us so many other stories about ourselves. True. But we can connect with yeah, who we are, person to person, heart to heart, by sharing our stories. And we're just using technology these days, but we could all be sitting around a campfire right now, mm. just connecting and singing a song with a guitar and Wouldn't know, that be sharing. Nice, nice right yeah. now? I'm yeah. really breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's so many things like Scooby, like like two months. Oh, can yeah, you please yeah, mention yeah, that yeah. story? You have yeah. to say so that. We got, so Paris and, and Charlize, they used to play with Harley, which we got this like, like, bigger bit overweight sausage dog and they used to play with him and they would laugh their heads off they would make him scared of the cat and they would play with him non-stop anyway two months after Pazzy died I looked at Charlize's face and she was just as I could see the sadness I knew how she felt oh it broke my heart it broke my heart to see the sadness in her and in Olivia and my my son Ryan to see the pain in them was oh it's horrible and I saw Charlize and it was her birthday in August and I said we've got to get her a present got to cheer her up and I thought I'll buy her a Harley I couldn't give her Harley but because that was part of Paris and I was like and Harley's such a treasure now to us because but I thought I'll just look look on Gumtree I'll find this uh, another sausage dog for Charlize and she'll have some anyway I found these sausage dogs that were born on the day Paris died I couldn't I couldn't believe it well actually three I couldn't believe it 
yeah, I couldn't believe it. So I ring the lady and um, and then Michelle says, um, Charlize's mum said, yes, well, I, I talked to her about it. I said, we've got to get these dogs, we've got to get these dogs. And Michelle goes, yes, okay, we'll get, get her the dog. And then my niece as well, she said, I'll take the, one dog. I want a dog too. I said, okay, we'll get three dogs. So I rang the lady up. I said, have you got three dogs? Have you got three dogs? She goes, yes. She goes to me, are you a breeder? <laughs> I go, I'm not a breeder, I'm not a breeder. <laughs> Yeah. And I said, I told her the story. I said, look, my daughter died on that day and um, I, th- I, I just feel like, uh, I feel called, like I, I need to get these dogs. Like th- something is pulling me in my heart to get these dogs. And she said, well, I have to tell you the rest of the story. I said, okay. She said, well, two days after they were born, their mum died from complications from the cesarean. <gasps> so I was like... And years before, I was at Colour Conference and I remember Bobby with her mother heart, Bobby Houston with her mother heart going, um, you know, what about all the mums that have died of AIDS going to heaven saying, who will look after my babies? And doing a call out to us to help support compassion and look after these children that are orphaned. And when this mama, when this lady told me that the mummy dog when it died, I thought the mummy dog's up in heaven and it's saying who will look after these puppies of mine. And Paris is there and she's gone, mm. I know who will look after them. Yeah. <laughs> and so oh I was God. like, okay, we're getting these dogs. So we went and we met them at Richmond McDonald's and we picked up these <laughs> puppies. How we good. did the transfer, we took them home and now like they, they have been such a blessing, like, he 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 sleeps in my bed, but he's like snuggled up to me, just like she would have, like she did all those years. And he's there, and um, I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be called, yeah, it's going to be called um, Books, Dogs, and Angels. I think. Oh, Sam, you have <laughs> all to do about it. that, you yes, know, because yes. she's an angel, and Scooby's Scooby came, and between Scooby and Harley, like like I've never had one nightmare. The doctors have said to me, do you need medication? Are you depressed? Okay, no, I'm just sad. Because it's like chemical, that dog's like, it's literally a thing that like pets and animals calm, like what do they do? Mm. Mm. I just read something about people who have like severe anxiety, they put their dog on the chest. Yeah. And yeah. it comes yeah. in. Well, you think after trauma, like Sandy experienced, you'd be having nightmares constantly. Yeah. No. yeah. I have not had one nightmare. I sleep. I have not had one sleeping pill. I do not drink alcohol and never drink it again in my life. Um, I look after my health um, and the dogs, they they have, whenever I cry, they just know and they're just all sitting on top of me like oh, and just so sitting there and <laughs> cuddling me and not leaving me like loyal, mm. loyal. Oh gosh, and that's same. what you need. Like if anyone hears this podcast and there's someone in your world, please, if they're grieving, you don't have the answers. You can't go there and you, I know you don't know what to say. It's okay. You don't have to say anything. You just have to be like Scooby. And just mm, sit be there. a Scooby. Yeah, be a Scooby. Yeah. And you just have to sit there and, and rub their back or say, do you want a cup of tea? And just let them talk to you because sadness just needs a voice. And if and if you can express your sadness and people and someone will listen, someone will listen, then you don't feel so alone. And that's all you've got to do. Kindness heals. Kindness is the most healing thing. So don't be scared. If you've got somebody who's grieving through a divorce or someone has passed or um, they've lost their house in the floods or any any loss is a grief and they and we just need to give voice to that and and we need to hear it and we and we we don't need to always pretend we're happy that is not 
not true. Like we're not happy. We're not always happy, and we couldn't always be happy without sadness. They, those two emotions have to be given space together because that is what being a real human being is all about. About being compassionate and kind, and allowing all those feelings to have their place in our life in a healthy way. Sandy, yes. what would you say to someone who, <clears throat> I guess, at any age, really? I mean, in my brain, I'm thinking about. Um, young girls like Paris's age who are just um, sort of going with the wind and I guess taking life for granted. They're not, a, they're not stopping to really think deeply about what the meaning of life is. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast and as a family, how we see people living life so surface level and they're not stopping to really think about yeah, the point of living. It's easy to do. You know oh yeah, I mean? it's so everyone... easy to do. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone who I guess is just I don't know, who is ungrateful for their life or somebody who's just going, not really thinking about it? Like what it, What would you tell them? Mm. I don't think that if you live your life on the surface that you'd particularly, I don't know if it's ungrateful. I just think you're like you really are looking for depth, but you just don't know the world's not a safe place. Mm. Like you, you, you just haven't found a place where you feel safe enough to be you. So you put on a mask and, you know, there's people my age that still do that. It's not just your age. Like, yeah. like it's probably you see it more because young people are still finding who they are and what they stand for. Um, and there's a great book about that. Um, but, you know, like mm. if you can decide what you stand for, once you do that, you're, you know, your vibe is your tribe. You'll find your peeps. Yeah. Your peeps will come be attracted to you. Don't ever be scared. Don't conform yourself to someone else to try and fit in or to be loved. You are loved. That's another thing about knowing knowing God. Like God came for us. He extended the trust. He extended the hand of trust to us and said, "You can trust me." And He came for us. We don't have to do anything for His love. He loves us. He loved us first, and He still loves us. And He has got enough love for us whether we know him, ignore him, don't know who he is, don't want him, he still loves us no matter what. So, you know, when you know that love, then you will feel freer to be yourself and then you'll find the right people because you're living out of your true self. Oh, so good. Oh, so good, Sandy. Um, What's something that you would say to your younger self? We always ask this question. So for young people, we say, what do you say to your older self? So I guess you could answer that as well. Um, but what would you say to your younger self if you could say anything to younger Sandy? Um, yeah, I probably would say what I just said. Just mm, like really, you know, spend some time working my, my relationship out with God because, you know, and if I if you don't trust him now, that's okay. Um, he trusts you. You know, he came for you. And so just spend some time because from that place, you, 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 if you want to have a, a life of purpose, of significance, you want to be loved, you want you want to say something that means anything, you, you, you've got to have a good foundation and the foundation is him. Jesus is the rock and he, will, he is immovable and he will not ever, ever, ever let you down. And that's, that's a hard thing for someone like me to say because you you're listening to me <laughs> going, he did let you down because he could have brought her back. And believe me, I have asked that question. You know, he could have brought her back. But you know what? I'm not the boss. He's the boss. And he decides. And we all have our time on this planet, whether it be one day, one minute. Some some young mums lose their babies. And I, I have to be a grieving mum from the age of 50. You know, Paris died when I was 50. 
some young mums, when I was in the hospital, there was a young mum who was in her 20s and she has to grieve her baby all longer, longer years than me. So, you know, we all have a time on this when none of us are meant to live forever. We're all, we're all going to pass. We're all, eternity is, eternity is knocking on our door. I love, you know, one of the, another really amazing, amazing thing, and the girls will probably get Ryan to have a chat one day, but my son, he said to me the other day, and he's 20, and this is just a miracle, an absolute miracle, but he said to me, he's got his own journey, I'll let him share his story, but he said to me, he goes, Mum, you know, I'm when I decide who my wife is, he goes, it's not my wife for life. He said, it's my wife for eternity. He goes, I'm choosing a wife for eternity. That's going to love Jesus just as much as me, and when we both die, we are going to be together forever, not just for life. And for a young man to say that, to have that perspective, that this tragic, this tragedy has given him that perspective. Yeah. He has got an eternal perspective. He knows. Yeah, he eternal knows, eyes, yeah. Yeah, he knows. He knows where he's going. He knows. He knows. We, we know Paris is in heaven. We've had so many signs, so many stories, so many. We just know that we know that we know. And um, so when Paris died, I had to know, right? Like I had to be at peace about this because if I didn't know where she was, I had to know. So I read every single book, Christian books, non-Christian books, scientists, everything that I could find about heaven, about near-death experiences. Like I read this story about this uh, really overweight truck driver that had a heart attack and how he floated out of his body and he wasn't even a believer. Like and, and his test, like his story, I read his. This other lady who went down and was in a, a, um, a rapid uh, canoeing accident and she hit the bottom and she was drowning and then she came up the other side and what happened to her. And like I read so many stories, right, and, and they all ha- – in that moment of the white light type of moment before they came back, they all had a similar um, words that were said, a similar vision, a sim- the, all these stories, there was a common thread in all of them, even though they were different circumstances, different backgrounds of people, different beliefs, everything was different. They all – anyway, we went to um, Hawaii for my birthday to go swim with these manta rays and um, I wasn't going to go because Paz and I were going to go and then – um, and everyone said, no, we'll come with you, mum, and we'll go, still go, still go. And I was like, we, 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 it was only four months. I was still crying every day. I was like really in grief. And it was, yeah, it was fresh. I was like, I didn't want to go anywhere. Anyway, we went we went because I told Paris we'd go and we, I promised. And anyway, we got there. It wasn't even about the manta rays, although, you know, like when when we were out there in the middle of the night, hanging on to these little floaty things and we had to put our – they had these lights on the bottom of the ocean and, like, God showed me that heaven is – this is what heaven is like, Sam. He said, put your head up and and I put my head up and I could just see black and cold and the, and it was and it was even rocky. The It wasn't like a calm ocean. It was a bit all windy and it was choppy and I was looking up and it was a bit chaotic and then I looked down and they had, like, lights underneath it and you could see all the fish and all the life – and it was just beautiful and it was so peaceful and quiet when you put your head down. And he said, heaven is just beyond the veil. It's just like this. It's not a faraway place. It's just there. She's just there. And Jesus has got your hand and Jesus has got her hand. 
and that's how you're going to do life now. And it's just a veil. It's not a far away thing. But when then, so then that that happened there, and then what also happened there was I found one of those big like poinciana trees. And I, no one was around and I was crying and I just lay down and I just had to let it out. The pain was so big. I just had to, ugh. So I just laid on the ground, tried to get it all out. And then after a while I just said, okay, Lord, I've had enough of this. Time to take me home. I want to die. <laughs> like I've had enough. This is too much for me. And um, nothing. Like just, just open the ground. Just this is volcanic soil. Just do something. Nothing. And then five minutes later, okay, well then, you have to, um, God, you have to bring Paris and show me that she is okay. You just have to give me a glimpse of her. Right now, no one's around. Look, just put her in the branch there just so I can see her one time. Just one time, just let me know that you're with her. Just let me see. I just need to see. You gave her to me. Now I've, it's your will that she's gone. I'm trying to submit here, but I need to know. You just need to show me. Then I'll be okay. One time. I don't need you to be over and over and over. Just one time. Still nothing. Oy. I was still cranky. I was like, Lord, not fair, not fair. <laughs> and so I walk, I walked away, still crying, still crying. And um, and then as I'm walking back to the where we were staying, I heard this and I never I've never heard God a tangible voice, but today, this day, I must have been so crying so hard and my own thoughts must have been so exhausted that God finally got a word in to my busy head and he goes, I'm the boss. And I'm like, okay then, you know. And so I just had to wait on him. I just had to wait and trust. And so anyway, but that night, didn't have to wait long, thank goodness, because that night, I'll never forget it, the night, the time, everything. And I went to sleep and I've never... I've dreamt of dreams where I've seen her, but they've been memory type of dreams, right? But this wasn't that. This was, um, she was in like a summer camp type situation and she had these green shorts on and a pair in plaits and there was all these other kids her age and there was laughter and fun and it was like a food, they were eating food and it was just like jovial. And, and, and I'm like, where's Paris? And they said, here she comes and she come running up the stairs and all these kids part the way and they go, here she is, here she is. And she come up and just like she would normal, Mum, I'm fine. What's wrong? I'm fine. No, I'm okay. Like just like that. And in a way, similar that I'm fine was similar to all those books I'd read. So it's like God placed all those books from all those different people with a similar experience of of what heaven was to give me, and then gave me that vision or I don't know. Let me see her. Like, I don't know if you've read The Shack. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lord. <laughs> so he let Mac see yeah. his daughter. He let him see in his way. Yeah. He let me see her then. He let me, he gave me a beyond the veil look to see her, but he had set it up for me by sending all these books that I'd read all these people's stories and he'd said the same thing. She said the same thing as all those people had said and it all lined up. That if that's not God, like you can't orchestrate that, you know. And she comes in the dream and she says, "Mum, I'm fine. It's okay, Mum. I'm fine." Like, like stop worrying about me, like, like she normally would. And um, and from then I was like, okay. Wow, it's so good, Sandy. I, I want to thank you. I mean, I feel like we could talk and 
talk the hours about every single story and every single Godwing that God's done. But I feel like we could probably have and you on for another like, episode, I honestly. I just want to encourage Sandy because I will never forget this moment at Paris's funeral. There was something so, like Holy Spirit was so there that day. Like in that building, I just felt like it was so, it, anyway, it was so, so beautiful. And I, and I looked down at you because we were like up on the thing and I looked down and your arms were up in worship. I was like, it bro- I was, I was undone. I was wrecked. I was like, yeah, I and I, we'll never, I'll never forget the cry that I heard from you when you walked to that, that chapel. But then I looked down and I'm like, is she still crying? Nope. She's worshiping. She's crying, but she's still in worship. And I'm like, it inspired me so much to the point. And I've, I had to, it took me months to send you a huge message about what Paris's death did for my personal faith. I can't even imagine what it, oh my gosh, what it's doing with, you know, with you and your family. But I was really inspired in that moment as well. And I am inspired and so encouraged by your story and by your strength. I just, I literally was like, I just see the word strength over you, Sand. And I think a lot of people can vow to that truth as well. Um, you are so strong with everything, everything that happened with Paris and the way that you just are so, I guess you're open, but also you're so willing to just share about the good news about God, even in the midst of a tragedy like this one, like it's so inspiring. I'm just, yeah, I'm just so encouraged. I'm so glad I know you. Mm, I'm, glad yes. I, I'm glad I got to grow up with Paris well, as well. Your mum's been a great, your mum was a fantastic influence in, in Paris's life. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that too, because she played her part in Paris's journey to heaven as well so mm-hmm. you know and I'll always be indebted to your mum so I'm happy to be you know the surrogate auntie <laughs> and, uh, you know okay. and I'll, I'll be here for sure but um oh, thank you so much story. Sandy I hope that you guys loved this conversation with Sandy just as much as we loved having it with her We have been loving sitting down and having these conversations with people that we know and love for the Neighbourhood series. It's been the absolute best and has been so special. If you guys have been enjoying them as well, feel free to leave us a review, send through some encouragement and don't forget to share this episode. Till next time.